Welcome to EI on the Fly, everyone. We're happy to have you back with us. This is our podcast about all things early intervention. Emily and I are excited to talk about another component today related to teaming and collaboration. So my name is Dana Childress. I work in Virginia as an early intervention professional development consultant. I'm on our state's training team. And so talking about topics like this, about how to show we value and respect our teammates and families is something we we talk about a lot. Um, Emily, my co-host, I'll have her introduce herself. Yeah, I'm Emily. I am the coordinator of general supervision here in Massachusetts, and I am also a parent of a child who received early intervention for um, maybe just under two and a half years. All right. Thank you. Well, Emily and I, um, as you guys know, we've been talking in this series about different components of teaming and collaboration. So far, we've talked about understanding our common purpose as team members, which could be a unique purpose depending on the type of EI team that we're on. Um, but when we think about a common purpose, across early intervention that always includes supporting families as they encourage their children's development. So you can learn more about that in a previous episode. We've also talked about sharing common tasks and understanding unique roles of our team members and the team members that you have on your team. It's going to be unique to your program and often unique to the child and family's interests and needs too. Today, though, we're going to kind of hone in on another, um, another component that talks about the importance of conveying value and respect among team members. I think this is one sometimes we can take for granted, so it's good to spend a little time really thinking about what does this look like and reflect ourselves on how we're doing this. So we're really happy to have Dr. Naomi Youngren joining us today to kind of dig into this component. I'm going to ask Naomi to introduce herself, and then we'll jump right in. Naomi? Thanks, Dana, and thanks for um, allowing me to, to join you on the chat. I'm excited to be here. I am a early childhood technical assistance um, consultant with the ECTA, and I've previously been an early intervention provider and have also worked in a leadership capacity providing technical assistance. Uh, this, this topic on value and respecting, I think, is so, so core to everything that we do um, it's it's really foundational to our work, and as Dana had mentioned, you know, sometimes it's it's something we take for granted. But I think it's something that also needs to really be in the forefront of of what it is that we are doing and thinking about as we do the great work that happens in early intervention. Yeah, that's such a it's such a good point to make about being sort of intentional about it, having that in the forefront. I mean, I almost think we, we think about that more with families. We definitely want to show families we respect them, but it's really important to have that mutual respect among your other team members and your colleagues too. So we're going to talk about both today. Um, so I'm going to throw this over to Emily to get us started and get us kind of oriented to how this topic fits in with recommended practices. So the DEC recommended practices remind us how important building, trusting, and respectful partnerships and valuing all members of the team is to success of early intervention visits. Manning, Curtis, and McMillan remind us that respect is demonstrated often by a willingness to listen to ideas and feelings of others, and this is so important to a relationship. Relationships to each other as colleagues and among parents and providers. So, Naomi, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about why is having a foundation of trust and respect so important when working with families and then also other team members? Well, I think as we talked before, it's, I think it's core to the work that we do. Um, and as you mentioned, families and colleagues, and I would even add other stakeholders. We certainly partner with so many colleagues across various different agencies and such. 
Um, so it really is core to good, strong relationships. And relationships is really at the heart of, of the work that we do, um, be it the direct work that we do with families, um, the work that we do with various different agencies, and certainly the work that we do with, uh, with our colleagues as we um, work to provide quality support and services. Yeah, all really good points. I mean, who? it's really hard to be engaged in anything when you're not feeling valued and respected. It's, it's, it's kind of one of those things that just automatically makes anybody just shut down if they're not feeling that. So we know that teams can't fully function if someone on the team doesn't feel that their comments, their role, their culture, their training, or even their presence is appreciated by others. And that of course, is including parents. We've all probably seen situations where we didn't feel respected or we observed others being disrespectful or devaluing the contribute um, the contribution of somebody else. And th- those are really hard things to experience and hard things to watch. I don't know if either Dana or Naomi, if you guys have an example of like when there was a time where you felt really respected or maybe a time where you watched somebody else be disrespected. Well, yeah, I can um, share an example, Emily. And this is kind of, unfortunately, I hear this across the field. Um, as my, So my background is early childhood special education, and I spent a lot of time being an educator in early intervention. So developmental specialist, you know, people to call it lots of things. And I can remember um, a team I worked on who had a history of sort of not really respecting the educator on the team, thinking this was a person who didn't have a lot of expertise, wasn't a real specialist, sort of more of a generalist. Um, and so the others on the team would <clears throat> take over. They had a really hard time sort of sharing the child and bring, let, you know, letting me bring that um, voice of the educator. And I, you know, I think about the educators or the home visiting specialists, child development specialists, whatever, as like we, ha- we have to be a specialist in early intervention, but a generalist. We have to have a lot of information and knowledge across development, across family-centered practices. And it took me a little while to build the relationships with the team members so that we had mutual respect. And I think there was some history there that I had to overcome. But I remember at first feeling angry that I could tell that, you know, my role wasn't respected, what I had to say wasn't valued. But over time, as we worked together, as we spent time even outside of the team activities with the families, kind of getting to know each other, getting to know what each other did well, where creating a safe space for us to share ideas to say, I don't know the answer and I need your help really made a big difference. It was so important to me that I wanted the family to see us as a united team. And so taking the time to to build that respect and sort of acknowledge how I felt, but figuring out what was my role in helping to improve the situation. Um, And my role ended up being reaching out to my team members, getting to know them better, looking for opportunities to work together so that we could build that relationship like we were talking about and build that sense of trust and respect. So it took a little while, but it became like a mission for me. And um, on the end of it, so much better teamwork and it just it just really was all about building that relationship and dedicating some time um so it it started out as kind of a difficult situation but ended as a situation where i did feel respected and i learned a lot about how to build that relationship that's awesome you know as you as you asked about the examples um one also came to my mind a little bit um, not as long-term in teaming, but I think about um, 
the numerous experiences that I've had with various tech support folks. Um, and while most have been very positive because, and I think about what were the behaviors that the tech support person did that helped me to feel valued and respected. Um, they met me where I was at. They listened to what my issue was and helped me resolve it. And, and there's been other experiences that have been less positive. Um, and I think too, well, what were the behaviors that were demonstrated that made me feel less valued or respected? And that was, uh, and even leaving me feel a little less capable, um, such as when the tech support kind of took over um, and just fixed the problem without really helping me to understand what the process was, not really, we've talked about listening to each other, not really listening to what my question was to be able to know how to fix the problem when I run into it again. So, you know, sometimes it's those you know, even these short encounters um, can be really powerful in helping people to feel valued and respected. That's perfect comparison to early intervention and even service coordination, isn't it? Don't, you know, when you take over, when you fix the problem for me, when you're not listening to me, all of those things, those are things, well, we want to flip those. Those are the things we can do in a different way to make families feel valued, to build their capacities so that they're like, Next time this happens, I can manage it. Next time my computer breaks, I know what to do. And that's what we, where we want that relationship to end. Did you have something to add, Emily? Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but this is like one of my favorite activities to do during trainings. And I think it comes out of the um, some of the Cephal work, the pyramid model work, is um, the help giver activity. And so what you do is you have people think about like, what's an activity you've always wanted to learn to do, you know, like, we could use the example, play the piano or whatever it is. And then you have participants think about, okay, so if you were going to have somebody come into your home and teach you how to do play the piano, what are the things you would want them to do? And what are the things you would not want them to do? And um, it just listening to you guys talk like this activity, if people haven't done it, I strongly encourage you to look it up and do it. Um, because it really hits home this idea of like, the things that people want to happen or don't want to happen by their sort of help giver or their teacher just naturally highlights all of the things that you guys are saying. And like, you want somebody that's going to really, truly, ultimately value and respect you. Um, and that might look slightly different for each and every one of us. But it's, it's just a really good activity that sort of highlights this idea that all of us want to feel valued and respected when we're learning something new. And that goes for if you're learning something new in terms of your being an EIT member and coming in and learning a new job, or you're a parent and you're learning how to help your child develop and grow. Interesting, Emily, as you were talking about your the activity, I love that activity idea. I was thinking this could also highlight the differences in how a person perceives feeling valued and respected or how they want to receive help. Like with Naomi's example, if somebody's fixing my computer, I don't want them to step in and do it. I want them to walk me through what I need to do. But I have um, other friends who are like, just show me what to do. Like you do it, I will watch and then I will try, which is families could be very, you know, the same kind of variability, our other team members too. So, so your idea makes me think about sort of acknowledging and being open to the differences and how people, because how I feel valued and respected could be different than how somebody else might. 
Well, let's kind of, we start, we've opened up the conversation here with some really great strategies and people even got a bonus training idea there. So that's nice. Um, let's talk a little bit more about some other ideas to think about how to show, how to convey that value and respect, because it's not always as easy as it sounds. And, and maybe sometimes it's not easy because of that variability I just mentioned. So we're going to talk about some strategies that you could use with colleagues or with families to demonstrate and build those feelings of value and being valued and respected. Um, so I'm going to throw this to Naomi first. What are some other ways that we can communicate that we really do value and respect someone in the context of relationships that maybe we have with our early intervention team members? So that includes the family. What are some other ideas? Ideas that come to mind are really listening to your inner self and acknowledging we all have biases. We all have our own values and beliefs, but acknowledging when those are creeping in or impeding your ability to respect others' perspectives. You know, we filter all of the information we get through our own values and beliefs. You know, that certainly happens, but sometimes it can hamper your ability to really genuinely value and respect others and, and their input. So that's one. There are two other ones that, I, that, that come to mind. Um, the other is be careful not to fall in love with your own ideas or perspectives. Um, you know, we have, I think about working with families and I've got really good strategies and I fall in love with my strategy and what ends up happening then is I miss the insights from others or others' perspectives. So acknowledging everybody's got great ideas, but when you fall in love with your own, you miss out on the additions that others have or the ideas that others have that may in fact be entirely different. Um, and, and then one more is that notion of practicing reframing. Um, don't jump to your own conclusions. Consider other angles. You know, I think about working with families and, you know, I, 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 I like a clean house. I like my dishes to be done. Um, not, everybody, not everybody does that, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, that's just the way, the way it is, which is fine. And, and being able to reframe so, you know, I... I it might be, you know, this family is really busy. They prioritize family time over getting those dishes done. So really being able to, to reframe things and acknowledge your own biases and values and beliefs in doing so. There's a lot of sort of reflection in what you just talked about, aware, self-awareness and some sort of pausing to think about what do I think? Why do I think it? I ha I've never heard the the way you said it, Naomi. Don't be don't fall in love with your own ideas. But that's a really effective way to say that because I used to think in my head was like so full of ideas and I'd get so excited about them when a family would bring up, well, I'm really having trouble with this, and you could just spew the ideas out because I was really thought they were kind of awesome, but they might not fit at all because I don't know enough about what's going on. I haven't asked any of questions. I haven't been open. I've just been so excited about myself. So I love that idea of kind of pausing and stepping back and reiterating the importance of the value the family's gonna bring. And, and we have to get that. We have to ask for that from them. And, and just in asking and pausing, um, kind of lowering our ego, I guess a little bit, we can, we make, we convey that value. Um, some of the other ideas I think that go along with what you said are when you're open to those to what the family brings, actively listening, listening objectively without judging. I'm kind of guilty of listening with like half of my ear and the other half is thinking already what I'm going to say or trying to project. I think this is where they're going but slowing down, showing that you're listening, um, being able to share your ideas 
in a way that is inclusive of what the family is saying. Um, I think when, when this gets hard sometimes, being able to share your feelings and your concerns with your team member in a way that's respectful after, you know, and willing to be open and hearing their perspectives is pretty important too. Um, one, another strategy that folks might consider is if they're either struggling to communicate value and respect, maybe struggling with some of the reframing, like you mentioned, Naomi, Touching base with another colleague or a supervisor can be a great way to get some of that feedback that might facilitate some of your reflection. Thinking through some ideas um, or just, just bouncing those off of someone else often gives you insights into your own behavior that are really important. I know, Emily, you had a story about a really great experience with a supervisor who helped you do this a lot of you know great supervisors over my years in early intervention but I had this one particular um, boss and she was just so good about not stepping in when we had a concern with another co-worker um, so I, I remember this one time my co-worker and I we did play group together and we did it for a long 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 time and I remember there was something at this point I don't even remember what it is but I didn't agree with it I didn't like it I was like really mad so you know I marched down the hall to my boss's office and I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna tell her about this and she's gonna talk to this person you know I'm like this is it I'm done and so I go in there and you know my boss you know is like all right well let's talk about it and she she listens she's really good at this point I'm like red mad ranting and raving and you know upset and you know <laughs> she just listens she just listens to me and is like okay and then you know she kind of reframes the conversation into like well how can I problem solve a solution and what can I say and what can I do and at this point I was like no no like you're supposed to say something to her and then of course now I'm mad on top of mad but you know I really did sort of listen and and together we came up with the strategy of you know how I could solve this problem with my coworker how I could let my coworker know that what she did I didn't feel valued I didn't feel respected I didn't agree with it and um why did I feel that way and what did I need to do differently and um as mad as I was I have to admit it worked and I went to my coworker and we had a conversation and we ended up having such a great professional relationship because through that activity, I learned how to engage with her. I learned to kind of show her how I value and trust and, and how to have conversations about when we don't agree with things. And, um, it, it, it ended up, I was like, Oh, it worked. It wasn't easy. Um, but we ended up really and truly having such a great professional relationship ongoing because we learned how to communicate. That's really important, you know, and what you what you kind of described sounds like sort of some reflective practice, like your supervisor did a great job of helping you think through what you could do differently. Um, I think sometimes our peers can serve that purpose, too, when we're struggling with a family, because we've all had those moments where things aren't going the way we wanted or things have taken a left turn. We were hoping for a right turn, you know, and having somebody else um, think with you about that situation. I can think of times where um, 
I would have when I was a supervisor, people come to me kind of stirred up or concerned or just trying to figure out what to do. And we would use, I would use a technique I loved was I wonder. So wondering with them, well, I wonder why that might be, or I wonder what's different now versus last week when you went. And we would just kind of reflect through wondering. And I loved that because it sort of softened some of the anger and it, and it made some space for like curiosity because we get, sometimes our emotions can block our sense of, we don't mean to be showing any disrespect, but I think it's important to respect families even when you're not sitting in front of them and even when you're talking to someone else about them. So sort of wondering and trying to take in a deep breath um, and thinking through what the next steps were. I don't know, it almost like we could deescalate each other because we all know this, this job, early intervention is an emotional job, right? So kind of speaking of families, let's think about that. Um, I'm going to throw this to you, Emily. Do you have some other strategies that an early interventionist could use when working with a family when maybe there's a different perspective or a difference of opinion? I mean, we kind of have Naomi's strategy of reframing um, that I think could work there too. But what are some other ideas when you do have that, often what feels like an internal struggle that may be because of something that you observed or experienced with a family? Um, I think one thing that can be really helpful is asking questions. I know it, listening to all of us talk today, I'm, I'm kind of reminded of all of the things that we talked about in our last series around functional assessment. And I think so many of those things that we, we talked about are, are strategies that you can use um, to sort of combat this and really help with this. So asking questions, you know, supporting and, and, and encouraging each other, um, defining our own behaviors that that are troublesome. You know, it, it's always really easy to sort of say, well, you did this and you did that. Um, but what I think tends to bring the conversation forward is when you say, but I did this and I did that. And here's what I brought to that. Yeah, that's a sort of owning your own behavior is important and something I it can be easy to overlook. Yeah. Yeah, I think also when you do that, it helps you kind of move to that next step to recognize like, that there are ways to work on solutions. And then also, there are often times when you may need to apologize for something that you did, because you are willing to sort of sit back and own your own behaviors. Yep. Absolutely. That's a hard thing to do. I mean, apologies come easier to some of us than others, but there's something about conveying a genuine apology when you've messed up because we all do, or you've hurt someone's feelings, or you didn't convey that value and respect. I think it's important to, to, to be okay, even as a professional, being able to say that with the family, I think that could convey a powerful message. Um, Naomi, I'm going to ask you, are there any other strategies you would suggest either for working with families with a difference of opinion, or just in general ways we can show families that we, we value them as equal team members? You, you know, I think that notion of asking families questions um, and, and doing so early and often, especially as you're getting started with intervention, you know, asking, you know, what are, we've had a couple of visits, what are some things that you want to be sure that we continue to do? What are some things that we, that you might want to be done differently or, or not continue to do? And, and then in asking those questions, really being able to ask the question and be open to ideas and genuinely listening to what the what the responses are you know sometimes we can ask a question and inadvertently dismiss or brush off ideas or disregard others so being mindful about like you said being mindful about our own behaviors and there's one other thing that came to mind as we were talking about you know as, as teams are talking you know and 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 teaming about families and such um, a colleague of mine um 
in a, in a prior location where she worked, what they would do is they would have a cutout of a family. So when they were doing teaming, they literally had a cutout of a family at the table to reinforce, you know, the conversations that we have as we're practicing, really being respectful and, and valuing each other's. We should have these conversations as if the family is here. So they had this visual of, of a family that sat um, in their team meetings. What a creative idea. I think that's so interesting. You know, I, I heard a family member one time at a conference, she, a mother was presenting and she said, we know how you feel about us even when we're not in the room. And I thought it was, it stuck with me all these years later. And she talked about, we know how you talk about us when we're not there. We get a sense of that by how you treat us when we're present. And she's like, so treat, you know, think of families, just like you said, Naomi, talk about them, show that respect, whether the family is present or not. And it can be easy sometimes to slip out of that when you're frustrated or when you have something like you mentioned, Naomi, about the dishes and the cleanliness that doesn't fit your own values and you want to plop your own values on that situation. But I think imagining, like you said, that cut out of the family sitting right there can sort of check our behavior and our, our um, thoughts too. Um, I think that's a, a, a that's a I'm gonna have to think about that. The cut out. I think that would also kind of break the ice some on some of those meetings and just revisit where you need to be emotionally and with your thinking too. Um, another strategy you might we might consider when we're thinking about families is checking our own comfort with having open and honest discussions with families. And this can flow very easily with families. Sometimes it can be a little harder. Um, one of the times I can think of that it can be harder to figure out, you know, in that moment, when a family asks you about a diagnosis, does my child have autism? Does my child have an intellectual disability? Those are hard conversations on really things that are really, really important to families. Um, so tell me about that for you guys. Have you had some experiences with some of those kind of touchy, such touchy situations where you need to be open and honest? Um, yeah, I actually have, um, a story. I had like this amazing experience as an EI provider and I had this little guy, um, he received an autism diagnosis and, you know, it, it, whatever he we got services and he got ABA and you know he transitioned to the school and when he turned three um it was after his IEP meeting his father asked me if he could talk to me and he sat me down and he told me that I really needed to work on the way that I approach conversations around a potential ASD diagnosis with families and I remember like feeling like oh Oh, like uncomfortable. And it was a hard discussion. But you know, looking back, because we had this um, relationship where we really valued and respected each other. Um, you know, he felt comfortable enough to say something to me. And I really valued his opinion enough to listen to him. And because I was able to hear his perspective, and reflect on his feedback, you know, I really, I did that. I did that work and I thought about it and I really changed my approach, you know, having that conversation with families going forward. And I'm, I'm so grateful that we were able to build that relationship and um, I was able to hear that. The other thing that I, I wanted to say that I think sometimes is not talked about enough in terms of showing families that you value and respect them is also... Um, 
this idea of presenting them with information in a way that they can understand it. I mean, I think sometimes if we were to look at the literacy level of some of the things that we put out, or some of the just general EI jargon that is out there in some of our documents and, you know, consents and signature pages and IFSP pages, I mean, like, we could probably the three of us could probably have a whole conversation just using like, letters <laughs> that we all know what those mean and other people would be like I have no idea and I, I think this idea of health equi- equity and um, health literacy is is really really important and I think it's something that the entire field of early intervention could stop and think about I mean from the basic of like if you can't understand your family rights notice right off the bat we're kind of accidentally showing you that we don't necessarily value and respect you, which is completely not true of the field of early intervention. But I think it is something that um, we could all sort of stop and pause and reflect on. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And it's, you're right, we do have our language, we have our lingo, we have our perspectives, and it's so easy to get kind of deep seated in those. I even remember um, somebody at a conference once, we were talking about that, about, you know, reframing your lingo, you know, there's always a normal way to say things like abduction and adduction and some of the the terminology we use. And she said, but I went to school to learn that language. And I said, you did, but your job is to share your expertise and support families. So we want to do it in a way that everybody on the team can understand everything that's happened. I think we sort of get locked into our language because it makes us feel smart and educated, but it's, there's something really powerful about translating what you know, so that everybody on the team can use it and, and run with it. Um, that's, that's pretty, it's more powerful than the words, the particular words or the, the acronyms we use. Um, well, I'm going to ask Naomi, won't, um, as we're wrapping up, if there's anything else you'd like to share about this or any other parting shots for our, our folks today on valuing and respecting others. You know, as you were, as you were talking about the language that we use um, and the words that we use, I, I think it's meeting families where they're at. You know, I've met, uh, I've worked with some families that have such an incredible understanding and background of their of their child and the and the condition that you know I learned I learned new words from them and new things from them. So so really being able to meet folks where they're at is I think is core to this as well. And appreciating that where they are is where they are, and that's completely okay. Um, we get we get where we're supposed to go with time, and we can't hurry it, we can't rush it, but we're there to support each other. Um, well, good. Well, thank you so much, um, Naomi, for for that. I guess Emily's going to kind of bring us to a close today, so I'm going to turn it back over to you. Yeah, thank you. So the DEC recommended practices emphasize the importance of practitioners building trusting and respectful partnerships that are sensitive and responsive. We also need to be responsive to a family's concerns and priorities. And I wish I could like say that in bold, you know, as a family that received early intervention, there is nothing more exciting as when you feel that your priorities and your concerns are um, truly being responded to. Respect is going to make people feel valued, which is going to allow for much more meaningful work. As we've heard in all of this discussion that we've had today and some of the stories that we've shared, um, I mean, there. It, it's just 
it's so important and it really is what is going to bring meaningful work and also move the work of early intervention forward and um, ensure that, you know, kids and families are becoming active and successful participants. So we look forward to the next episode where we are going to be thinking about strategies that help teams to be able to communicate openly and honestly. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us. Bye.